Good morning. It's great to see you. My name's Chris, one of the pastors here. Uh, welcome to you. I hope you're having a great time with us this morning. I'm um, having ducked out of the lovely weather we're enjoying in April. I think it is the wettest drought we've ever had. Um, so, um, you know, and, you know, many more wet droughts to come, perhaps. But, um, If you're visiting or if you're new or uh, just looking for a church, we hope you find a home here. If you'd like to find out more about St. Paul's, do come and grab myself or or Barry or John or one of the team. We'll be at the back. We'd love to answer any questions you've got or point you in any direction of any particular ministry or life group or whatever it might be. Um, This morning we begin a series of three talks, uh, this week, next week and the week after, looking at this passage uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 on on this whole thing of spiritual gifts. Um, For some of you it might be a kind of a passage you've looked at a lot and you understand, you think you understand well or you've uh, heard lots of talks or sermons on it and for others of you it's a a new place to begin. So I'm quite excited to to be able to kick that off uh, for us this morning. But before I do, why don't we just pray uh, together. Father, thank you that you are with us when we gather together. By your spirit, you are here and we welcome you. Lord, this morning I pray that you would speak to us. I pray your word would come alive to us. And I pray you would uh, equip and empower us for all you have for us to do from Monday to Saturday. And not just when we're gathered here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in the passage, if you've got a Bible, it would probably be useful to uh, look at 1 Corinthians 12. We'll we'll keep that open. I'm just basically this morning going to run through uh, this passage and look at some of these gifts and what do they mean and and what is is Paul trying to teach uh, the Corinthian church. Paul's responding. In his letter, Paul wrote several letters to the Corinthian church. We know there are at least three, uh, and two of them are in our New Testament. And the first one is in response to a report and a letter written to him by the Corinthian church highlighting a few issues and struggles that, uh, that were, um, and, and conflicts that were taking place within the church. And when we come to this passage, Paul is talking to the church about when they gather together for worship, how should they kind of do it? What should they do? What should their attitude be? What should their, um, uh, what should their practice be? They talk about uh, kind of issues of leadership, of, of the Lord's Supper, of Holy Communion, of, uh, and then this long section on spiritual gifts, on, on how should the church uh, use uh, those things that God might give them. And there were some significant issues and problems that had arisen within that church. Before we come to the issues, though, I want to look at the positive things about the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church can get quite a bad press for being generally quite immoral, which is true because uh, there was a slang phrase in in, uh, in the Roman Empire, which was to, to kind of to be a Corinthian meant to be immoral. Uh, so Corinth had quite a reputation for that, and. You know, there are issues within, you know, the Lord's Supper. People were at Holy Communion were getting a little bit overexcited and getting drunk uh, during communion services, which isn't something you'd expect on an average Anglican church. Um, not that they were necessarily Anglican at all, but um, far they were. When did the Anglican church start? I should have learned that. 1500s, wasn't it? This is a long time ago. I dropped history at year nine. I didn't enjoy it very much. Um, but the Corinthian church is known for being a place of conflict and chaos and general dis- dis- kind of disorder. But there were some good things about the church. They expected God uh, to be at work by his spirit when they met together. They expected God to turn up. They didn't just think, we're just coming for a kind of cozy little service and we'll meet together. They expected something of the power of God to be at work. And I think it's fair to say their worship was not in any way formulaic. 
They didn't have a set structure. That's what I think concerned Paul a little bit, actually. They hadn't gotten into a religious rut or a ritualistic kind of routine. Um, They weren't a church that just went through the motions. Um, They expected God to speak to them. And maybe the way in which they did that left a lot to be desired. Their passion and excitement is something that we can learn from. Their commitment to seeing God at work when they gathered was really good. However, there were some issues that they needed to kind of, Paul wanted to iron out. The first is this, is that they were misusing these things called spiritual gifts, which we'll look at in a moment. uh, Which was leading to this significant disunity within the church. It seems likely that the gift of tongues, which is a, uh, you know, a prayer language, was their favourite gift. And they did it, they spoke in it all the time, um, all together, out loud, loudly, and, and seemed to kind of use, put that as the pinnacle spiritual experience. If you didn't do this, you weren't really a proper Christian. You weren't really going for it with God. And they put that at the top. And, and so for others who maybe didn't speak in tongues or didn't feel that they were in that crowd, they felt excluded and left out. Um, because they, they didn't seem to be as crazy as this other group who were really going for it, or whatever that might be. And that led to a kind of spiritual showing off. Again, in Corinth, the kind of Corinth was a new city. It was only a hundred years old at this time, and it was known as a place full of entrepreneurs and people who were trying to make a name for themselves. And that kind of sort of social climbing and, and, and kind of being well, uh, being famous had infiltrated into church life. It was a known, Corinth was a place where people would try and climb the social ladder in view of, in search of success and standing. And, and when, when that happened in worship, the um, Corinthians would simply say, well look, I'm more spiritual than you. And they would use that term, I'm more spiritual than you because I have a greater experience than you. I, I'm, I'm more demonstrative than you. I, I would speak more eloquently and, and more passionately than you. I'm more gifted than you. And, and others would, you know, feel, well, I'm not like them. So maybe actually I'm not as important and not as needed. And they would sort of take a step back from worship and from being involved in the life of the church. The Corinthian church had a, a very much an inward focus about who was there. They were a big church, probably the biggest church that Paul had planted. By this time, they may well have numbered several hundred people meeting across the city in large homes and houses. A significant influence in the city. They had kind of, you know, if you, the equivalent of senior councillors who were part of uh, the church, a guy called Erastus who headed up the city work. So he was responsible for the water and sanitation and whatever else. But they were very much about themselves. We've, we've got all these people, we're happy as we are, thank you very much. And in their worship, they reflected that. They were happy to please themselves, and when guests came in, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks about this, if a guest came into the Corinthian service, they genuinely thought they were crazy. They thought they'd walked into another pagan temple, with this kind of out-of-control, uh, no leadership, no order uh, going on. So these guests and visitors couldn't understand the good news about Jesus. They had no opportunity to hear it because of all the craziness that was going on. All the kind of, you know, infighting almost, the sort of spiritual one-upmanship, if you like. So there was a a misuse of spiritual gifts. There was a spiritual showing off, a kind of hierarchy being formed of who was the most spiritual and who wasn't. And an inward focus uh, in their worship. So what does Paul say into this situation? What does he say to the Corinthian church? 
Well, in verse 1, he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, I write about the special abilities that the Holy Spirit gives to each of us, for I must correct your misunderstandings about them. Our worship, it's important to be informed and to understand about worship, about spiritual things. It's not really, the word Paul uses there isn't spiritual gifts. He's talking about spiritual matters, spiritual things. He's saying, some of you think you're really spiritual. We need to address this issue. We need to look at what you really mean about being spiritual. Um, in verse 2 he says this, Some of you, uh, were st- when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshipping speechless idols. He wants to say Christian worship is very different to pagan worship, to Gentile worship. Uh, the worship in the many temples that existed in Corinth at the time. It was a melting pot of cultures, of Greek culture, Roman culture, Jewish culture, and now this Christian church that was growing in the city. Christians worship the one true living God who has spoken and continues to speak to his people today. Christians worship a God who has all power and authority, but who loves and tends us. We aren't led time and time again to idols that have no power or voice, that promise much but deliver little. We are new creations living in a new kingdom and worshipping the king. And it means that the way we worship is different. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said this, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment is two things. Love God and love your neighbor. And we can't separate those two things when we gather together to worship God. We can't love God in a church service in a meeting like this and not love our neighbor because we're breaking the greatest commandment. Because through loving our neighbor, we love God. And through loving God, we should love our neighbor. Verse 3, Paul says, So I want you to know how to discern what is truly from God. No one speaking by the Spirit of God can say Jesus is cursed. And no one is able to say Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. He's going for the spiritual thing again. He's saying, some of you are, are, are putting yourself up on this kind of pedestal of saying, I'm more spiritual. Anyone who says Jesus is Lord has the Holy Spirit. We're all equal. We're all on a level playing field. He emphasizes the equality of each person in that congregation. At the center of all Christian worship is the risen Jesus. He is the one we look to. He is the focus. It's not about the music. It's not about the words we use. It's about a person who's alive and with us today. It's his presence that we seek. It's an experience of him that we want. He is the focal point of, of, of why we gather together. It's why the early church moved the Sabbath to a Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. It's why Easter is the focus, the, the center point. Paul said if the resurrection of Jesus hadn't taken place, we are the most miserable of people and should be greatly you know, felt sorry for and, and, and looked down upon. A declaration that Jesus is Lord can only come from a heart that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And saying that Jesus is Lord means that you are in effect saying, Caesar is not. You're making a deeply political statement. The early church had two main creeds in the first couple of centuries. The first was, Jesus is Lord. And the second was, God is our Father. Jesus' Lord distinguished them from the Roman Empire. It said, we are different people and we worship one God. And we won't join in with, with the way that you worship and the way that you are. 
And God is our Father. Distinguish them from the Jewish uh, community and say, we know God intimately because of what Jesus has done. Jesus is Lord. If we can say that today, we're on equal footing. There's none of us can say we're more spiritual than another. And then we come into the spiritual gifts. In verse 4 uh, to 6, Paul says this. Now, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it's the same Holy Spirit uh, that gives them. He's the source of them all. There are different kinds of service in the church, but the same Lord we are serving. And there are different ways God works in our lives, but it's the same God who does the work through each of us. Paul here gives three things. He tells us the origin of these spiritual gifts. He tells us the purpose of these spiritual gifts and the power behind them. Firstly, the origin. The the word translated spiritual gifts means grace gift, if you translate it literally. And that's what it means in New Testament, in New Testament Greek. In modern day Greek, apparently, it's translated birthday present. I think that's quite an interesting way of looking at it. It's a gift to us. It's something that we, uh, we only get because someone chooses to give it to us. Um, they're not rewards. We can't earn a spiritual gift. It's not like we have Christian nectar points that we scan in and we kind of collect what's there on offer this week. We're given them by God. They're for everyone. They are gifts freely given. No one can say they've earned a better one. Or there's a hierarchy in some way. That's never given, uh, given to us. So the origin of spiritual gifts is the Holy Spirit who gives them to whoever he will. The purpose of spiritual gifts is that they're to be used to serve Jesus and his people. They're not a collector's item or a badge of Christian honor. They're to be put to work. They're tools in a toolkit. They have a purpose. It's not that we try and collect them and use them like a stamp album. They're, used, uh, they're, they're useless, in fact, I think, if we don't use them to build others up. They come from the Spirit. They're to be used to serve Jesus. Some of you will have heard of the famous uh, violinist Niccolo Paganini. I've probably mispronounced his name. But he gave his marvellous violin, uh, the, the one he used to play, uh, he left it in his will to the city of Genoa, uh, where he was born. But the, the condition that was placed upon that violin being given to Genoa was that no one would ever play it. Um, which is a shame because a violin is built to be played. And if the peculiarity of the wood that it was made with was that the more you play it, the, the longer it lasts, the better it sounds. But as soon as it's dis- discarded and left aside, it, it, it decays and falls apart. And this wonderful mellow tone violin became worm-eaten in its case, and it was valueless except as a relic. And a violin was never made to be a relic. It was made to be played. And a life that's withdrawn from service decays and atrophies because we're made to serve. We're made to build others up. When we lower the value on meeting with others, on building one another up when we gather together, and growing healthy Christian community, loving our neighbor as ourself, we are in danger of worshipping the idol of self and not God. If we come together just for my experience in worship, the songs that I like to sing, we put the God of individualism right there and we discard everyone else because it doesn't really matter what they want. It doesn't really matter what they're going through as long as I feel good, as long as I feel built up. Have you ever been like me and done that? 
of coming to church or come to a, a life group or whatever it might be and going, this is really about me. I want to feel better. Sometimes that's absolutely valid. We come just as we are. God invites us. Come as you are. Broken, selfish, sinful, whatever it might be. Come just as you are to me. But I think Paul is reminding the Corinthian church that pagan worship is all about me. It's about my self-improvement, about my, my, my needs, my rights. And Paul says, no, Christian worship is different. We come to build one another up, to worship the Lord Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, and to love our neighbour as ourselves. And with these spiritual gifts, that's how we do it. And finally, Paul says this, the power behind spiritual gifts, they're not just natural abilities, although they look and are connected to them. They are signs and expressions of God's power at work amongst us today. They remind us that the Holy Spirit leads our worship. You know, the Bible says we can't worship God until he's been revealed to us. We can't work out who God is until God shows us. His ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And sometimes when we fall into a trap of that sort of ritual and, and, and kind of regular kind of way of doing things, we're in danger maybe. Um, the Corinthians fell the other way. But if we, we have that ritual, we're in danger of that becoming the thing that we do. And we feel comfortable with that. But we have to remember that the Holy Spirit is the one who leads our worship. So the origin of the gifts is the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the gifts is to serve Jesus and his, and his kingdom and his family and those people. And the power behind it is God's power, the power of the Father at work. So Paul then goes on to say, well, if that's where they come from, if that's what they're for, and that's what they are and what they're there to do, um, who gets spiritual gifts? What should we do with them and why should we do it? Verse 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. Now to each one, another translation said, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And everyone who declares Jesus is Lord has the Spirit of God living within them and is therefore eligible and given by God these grace gifts, these birthday presents. Paul calls them a manifestation of the Spirit, a sign that God is at work. Spiritual gifts are not the only sign that God's at work, but they are a sign. And Paul makes it uh, clear that the purpose of these gifts is to build up the life of the community, not create some kind of super spiritual Christian clique that no one else can join. So here is the list that he gives, and there's nine, nine things listed, listed here. There are other, other gifts listed at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, and we find them in other New Testament letters. This isn't a definitive list. This isn't the kind of the top-end stuff. This is just an example of some of the things that we should expect God to do in us and through us to build one another up. They're not just natural abilities, as I've said, but they're sometimes connected to our natural abilities. So let's have a look at them. In verse, in verse 8 onwards, to one person the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice, and to another he gives the gift of special knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge, uh, these messages, these words of wisdom, words of knowledge, what are they? Um, they're simply, they're the ability to apply the wisdom of God into a situation or issue, and it goes beyond good advice. It's connected to the prophetic gift um, of hearing what God's saying and bringing that to others. And we know Paul says later on that prophecy is to encourage, comfort and strengthen people. So when we bring a gift of wisdom or a gift of knowledge, a word of wisdom or knowledge, we're asking God to speak through us to someone else. 
And have you ever been on the receiving end of that wisdom and that knowledge when someone has spoken into your life, into a situation that you've found frustrating and difficult, maybe in the workplace you're trying to resolve an issue of conflict? Haven't you appreciated someone who's been able to get alongside you, pray for you, and God has given a word of encouragement? Doesn't that make a difference for your week? Doesn't that make a difference in your family? When we gather together, we think of others. We ask God to speak through us to others. The gift of faith in verse, in verse 9, uh, the Spirit gives special faith to another and to uh, someone else. He gives the power to heal the sick. All Christians, I mean, come back to verse 3, Jesus, uh, Paul says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. All of us have a level of faith when we follow Christ. But what Paul is talking about here is something more than that. I think it's a slightly kind of out of control confidence that God can do something in a situation that seems impossible. I think sometimes these aren't gifts that one person has forever, but I think this gift comes to people at particular situations to bring encouragement to other people, not to make someone appear to be some kind of Christian superstar. We aren't talking the bare grills of faith here, that I'm sure if I jump off this mountain, everything will work out okay. We're talking about a sense of when trouble strikes, when life looks impossible, it's someone who goes, guys, God can bring us through this. Let's keep going. Let's not give up in the face of persecution. The Corinthian church were persecuted. Let's not give up in the face of opposition. Let's continue to preach the gospel, knowing that God will change lives. It's, that, it's not the kind of faith that puts others off. It's the kind of faith that draws others uh, to have more faith themselves. It brings a confidence that leads us to step out and take risks in response to God's call. And it inspires others to do the same. The gift of faith is contagious. It raises the faith of others. For me, I've known that sometimes when I'm praying for someone for healing. I remember praying for a friend once who had just a bad back, nothing hugely complicated. But I had a... I describe it as a surge of confidence, but that sounds terribly dramatic. But I was just sure that if I prayed, God would heal. Now, the whole subject of healing is a complicated one, and we'll look at that in a moment. But um, at that point, I prayed. I asked God to heal uh, my friend Joe's back. And I said, Joe, how's your back? I just expected her to say, yeah, it's healed. And it was. Her pain had gone. And I was grateful to God for that. And I think that's a, a, a little example of what that might be. It inspires faith. I think actually what Paul's saying here is, in a church, in a complicated situation, guys, let's keep going. Let's keep pressing on. Let's keep pushing in. Let's not give up in the face of overwhelming circumstances. The gift of healing is, is it kind of self-explanatory. It, it's a gift where we pray and we ask God to heal. And sometimes it, it comes from when we pray for someone. And at other times it comes just supernaturally, just kind of sovereignly. God does it. Um, maybe for some of us, we've had that experience of being prayed for and God has healed. It might be in a meeting, it might be in the workplace, it might be in our home, but God does it. It's, you know, to be honest, all of us are one sense are mortal people. We're, we're not going to be healed forever. And actually, there's, a, there's lots of questions to ask around the idea of, well, if God heals one person of a bad back, that seems so superficial compared to my friend Colin, who at the age of 34 dropped dead of a heart attack. How does that work? And I don't know, and I have no easy answers in that situation at all. But the fact is, is that God sometimes shows his presence, encourages one another through these gifts of healing. And in the midst of the unanswered, difficult, painful questions, I still want to ask God to show himself in that way. Even if I can't work it out. Even if I want to hammer on God's door with the big question of why. 
I still want to pray for people to be healed. The gift of miracles, this is a funny one. Uh, I think it's better translated as workings of power. And I also think the best way to work out what this means is to look at the early church. How did it work for them? They saw miracles of provision, of you know, financial provision, of material provision. Uh, they saw healings of people being set free um, and more. And I think it's just a sign that God suddenly moves in power, does something dramatic. They, sometimes it's hard to put a definition on these things, isn't it? But they're workings of power. The gift of prophecy, we talk, I think that's when we get a message from God and give it to someone else. It's that we're praying for them, we're listening to God for them. Um, we have a, a, on a Sunday evening every month, a, a girl called Catherine paints, uh, listens to God, asks God what he's saying, and she paints a picture in response to that. And the thing we found is every time she does that, numbers of people respond to painting. Because some people are word people, and some people are visual. And God, through Catherine's gift, speaks to many. Distinguishing between spirits, um, an insight into whether or not something that's been, been shared is from God or not. Something that, um, you know, maybe it's just, it's not right to kind of for that point. I think the key test is, is it encouraging, comforting and strengthening? Or is it just tearing us down and pull, pulling us apart? Speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues. The problem with the Corinthian church is they were so spiritual... They were all speaking out at once, and there was no order to it. And Paul's saying, you have visitors who come to your church who can't hear. They don't understand what's going on. If you're going to speak in another language, in a prayer language that the Spirit brings, then do it in a way that others can understand. So let there be an interpretation. And if there isn't one, then don't do it anymore. I think that's really helpful and practical. Paul's concern is not just that everyone who gathered together has a great time, but his concern is for those who are outside who want to come in. who want to hear the message of Jesus uh, for themselves. And these grace gifts, these birthday presents that, that God gives when we gather, wherever it might be, uh, are to be used at different times and used by a variety of people. There is unity and diversity. God says everyone gets to play. Everyone is needed for the body to work properly. No one is excluded. It doesn't matter what our background is or what our experience is or whether we think we're particularly spiritual or not. Because I would guess for many of us, we wouldn't have the issue of thinking we're too spiritual. We would have the other struggle. We would think, why on earth would God want to use someone like me? Why on earth would God want to use me uh, to speak to someone else, to bring encouragement? I don't feel very encouraged today. I could do with that for me. But perhaps God would want to use us to encourage others. So to come into land, what does that mean for us? Firstly, that God wants to give us spiritual gifts. And we're in a moment, we're going to pray and invite God by his spirit to do just that. To speak to us through one another. We're to eagerly desire them, Paul, uh, Paul says. Especially those that build others up. It's got to be our focus. Is how are we helping and encouraging others in their faith? You know, the opposite of misuse is not disuse, but right use. It's not that we stop using these things if we're getting them wrong. It's that we work out how to do it properly. And all of us are needed to use these gifts if we're going to function well. And they affect Monday to Saturday. It's not just about a Sunday service. They can be used in the home, the workplace. You know, isn't it great to be able to offer to pray for those we come across in the street who might be in need? Take a step of faith and, and offer that to someone. And finally, the Corinthian church expected God to be at work in their midst. They showed this passion and enthusiasm uh, in their worship, and they prayed for the Spirit to come, and he did. 
And our, my hope and prayer for us this morning is that each of us, whether Christian or not, whether we're a visitor or a guest, is that we would see and meet the risen Jesus. That he would be the centre of all that we do and all that we are. And that in some way, we might have an encounter with him today. Through the gifts and through one another.